0: Well, welcome once again to the University of Minnesota IPM, or Integrated Pest Management, podcast. Uh, this is the last in a series for 2020. And my name is Dave Nikolai with the University of Minnesota. I'm an Extension Educator in Crops. And we're very fortunate to have with us one of the principal presenters here on our podcast series is Dr. Anthony Hansen. And Anthony, uh, 2020 has been quite the year. Uh, there's been a lot of changes, but let's talk about some of the changes that you have personally experienced here in terms of your career in extension and also in IPM. A little bit about what's been happening.
1: Yeah, so thank you, Dave. Part of the reason we're having both of us together again here is the last two episodes of 2020, I've kind of taken over as sort of a co-host. I've been around and Doing some of the editing in the background and whatnot, and co hosting every now and then, filling in for either you or Bill Hutchison. Towards the end of 2020, I actually moved positions, and now I am formally an IPM extension educator. So instead of working a little bit here and there in different areas of IPM, I will now be focusing primarily on IPM for the state and basically putting up programs on either how we use IPM, what exactly it is, and finding new ways to. Make sure we're able to help out growers, especially with field crops. We also had another hire, Marissa Shu, who's over on the horticulture side of things. So there's two of us IPM educators now in Minnesota. But yeah, like you said, 2020 has been pretty interesting with uh, this change beforehand. I was an extension postdoctoral associate and for then with the podcast, we were doing other events uh, like pesticide applicator training, uh, setting up maps for predicting pest emergence and some of these extension facts you'll see on the internet sometimes on the Minnesota Crop News blog. So it's kind of been a diverse area of things I've been working on lately. Beforehand, I've basically always been in Minnesota. I grew up on a beef, corn, soybean, and alfalfa farm. West central Minnesota is where that's based in Bruton. So growing up there, I started off into research and in agriculture when I came to the U of M and did a master's and PhD in entomology. So I've kind of always been around in some fashion or another working on different critters, whether it's emerald ash borer or especially IPM soybean aphid when I was working in my PhD.
0: So now, Anthony, I understand that you'll be uh, having your office uh, in actually in western Minnesota, is that correct? Uh, Not on St. Paul campus, but still covering the state. Yeah,
1: that's correct. So I'll be based more in Greater Minnesota out of Morris. Right now we're still working on the transition, moving over COVID restrictions. It's a little slower doing that nowadays. But yeah, come this summer, I should be more formally based out of Morris there. I kind of have responsibilities across the state too when it comes to IPM for field crops. So if something comes up, a question related to what do we do about either this insect or this disease? And let's say Southeastern Minnesota, if I get fielded a question, I know who to get hold of. and I might be able to help out a bit myself too. So it's not just based on West Central Minnesota, but that is where I will primarily
0: be. When we think about field crops in Minnesota and we talk about farmers and, and uh, you know, their financial risks that they have every year, certainly in 2020 and they will in upcoming years. What are some of the things in IPM? Maybe you should drop back here a little bit and talk about what does IPM really stand for in terms of uh, tools that are available for growers uh, in Minnesota?
1: Yeah, so that question is something we've been thinking about while hosting this podcast for a while, Is we've talked about in different episodes, sometimes it will be, let's say, pesticide use for soybean aphids or maybe host plant resistance for diseases. And each of these tools are different things, but in totality, what exactly is IPM? Well, it's use of all these things together. And we thought it would be a good chance to actually talk about IPM as a whole, instead of just referring to IPM practices in general. So IPM is basically just the toolbox that each of us carries, whether we are farmer agricultural scientists used for reducing financial risks to the growers, while also reducing other ecological risks, whether that's environmental effects, looking at areas outside of fields or potentially health effects to growers as well. And there's this whole dynamic where you can look at what helps the farmers out, oftentimes helps out these other areas too. So that's what we're looking for with IPM. This toolbox, for me, growing up a farm, it's multi-generational farm. Look at some of your old toolboxes. You have the tools you really take care of. And then sometimes there are ones you either forgotten about or didn't even know your head. They might be your uh, grandfather's for all you know, and you find them at the bottom there and you realize, oh, this actually could have been pretty useful if I knew about it. So that's part of the point of IPM is using all these tools and sometimes finding out things you didn't know about you're adding a new tool to your ability to use for managing your crops And using those all together you sometimes can help out either your workload or uh, your ability to make a living farming as well
0: so let's talk a little bit about uh specifics here examples what's what's a real world example of a tool in this toolbox and maybe um, a pest that we're talking about in terms of having to know a little bit more about its biology. Can you give us a couple here?
1: Sure. So first we I'll talk about, I won't say this is the first line of defense. Honestly, it's actually the last thing we wanna use are pesticides, but it is probably the most important one to talk about because that is somewhat what IPM is centered around sometimes is reducing pesticide use but using it when it is actually correct. So basically use pesticides when it is the right time. And then that way you are making sure that you aren't overusing pesticides, possibly breaking that tool due to resistance and actually getting use out of it as well. So probably the best example in the state is soybean aphid. I'll probably come back to that a few times in this episode. And I have before, because that's what I did my PhD dissertation on beforehand. Other folks at the U of M developed what we call economic thresholds or economic injury levels for soybean aphid. That's specifically when you should be using these insecticides for soybean aphid. So in that case, the economic injury level, that's where the cost of applying insecticide, cost of application plus what you're actually putting out there is equal to whatever yield loss you would get from that number of aphids. So you hit about 670 aphids. That's about the break even point. So we use that to decide, okay, when should we actually be spraying these insecticides a little bit beforehand? So you make sure you go, aren't going over that 670 level. And that threshold was figured out to be about 258 aphids per plant. If you trigger your time to spray them, then you know that by the time you get out there to spray, you shouldn't be at that 670 level again, ideally, as long as your insecticide is working. But that gets into the danger a little bit too of relying on just one tool. So that's why I mentioned that one first is a bit of a baseline, but there are all these other tools we try to use beforehand. Sometimes because they're cheaper, sometimes easier to use, or they're already there, present in the field. One of the tools I like to talk a lot about was host plant resistance, and there are many different insects and diseases host plant resistance is used for. But again, soybean aphid is a good example there. Where you have the genetic traits. These can be naturally occurring, where you go through traditional breeding. In this case, they went back over to Asia, found plants resistant to soybean aphid, and then crossed them over into lines of soybean we had over here. It's oftentimes basically a compound that's in the plant that might harm the insect that's trying to feed on it. And we refer to that oftentimes as antibiosis. And then there's two other types of resistance as well antixenosis, which is essentially kind of repellency that the insects land on it and they decide this either doesn't taste good or it's not hospitable and they go somewhere else. And then the third one is tolerance. That's where you can have many different insects or disease on there. And plant really doesn't have any yield differences based on what you find on there. So we see each of those in different systems sometimes. And you get over to weeds, most plant resistance really doesn't affect those as much except in rare cases where maybe you get a parasitic plant, which you don't see in field crop situations
0: too often. So that's what I was going to ask you about um, in regards to, you know, we talk about soybean aphids as, as, a, as a prime example here, but let's talk a little bit about some other insects, maybe in some other crops um, that would be covered. And then I think you alluded to um, plant disease and uh, in weeds for that standpoint, are they all uh, within the realm of IPM? So kind of a two-part question there. Yeah,
1: so it, IPM is not just about insects. So I'm trained as an entomologist, but I also had training in plant pathology and a bit in weeds too, and especially also working on a farm, working with all three of those as well. So integrated pest management got a lot of its start working with insects, but a lot of other work in the other fields came about the same time, and that's where all these come together. So when we're usually talking about integrated pest management, for field crops especially, it usually is diseases weeds and insects. But you can get into other areas too. let's say mammals, deer, get into birds as well, which might be a little more common if you're more on the vegetable production side of things, uh, getting into protecting more fragile crops or fruit there. So it's really anything that can get into your field and cause damage to your plants. But yeah, those are the main three we're usually talking about. Even outside insects, you get diseases. It falls under pathology or diseases, but we talk about soybean cyst nematode. That one, you rely especially on host plant resistance there as well. Then you get over to corn, you'll get some of these other diseases, uh, especially goss as well. It's been coming up lately, and we talk about host plant resistance there as well. And the trickier part with some of those diseases is you can't oftentimes target them with fungicides very easily, or if it's other types of diseases that are bacteria, you could have essentially bactericides or basically antibiotics you can apply, but they may not really work that well due to timing. So we rely more on the other tools like host plant resistance. And that can lead into another tool we have, which is biological control. And that's the use of other organisms to basically go out and defend against or attack some of these other pests. So we're talking about diseases here, there can actually be other fungi that will suppress a disease that's in your field sometimes. And that helps kind of keep the populations low before you need to even possibly worry about this being a problem in your field. So that's all very disease dependent. And many of the ones we see don't have some of these barriers keeping populations down. For biological control, that's something that could be already present in the field. Or sometimes we actually work with invasive species and bring over predators, or sometimes we call parasitoids, from their native range. And some of these parasitoid wasps, let's say for like alfalfa weevil, they actually go and lay their eggs inside the insect and consume the host that way. And this has actually been a pretty good example of protection of biological control in Minnesota. As alfalfa, we haven't had as many problems with alfalfa weevil until very recently. And part of that may be because the interplay of these tools were... You apply insecticides that can also affect some of these biological control agents, and they're knocked out. So now the populations of of health weevils sometimes are rebounding in some of the fields. So we're uh, keeping an eye on situations like that. And that's part of why IPM education is important, knowing how each of these different tools affect each other and making sure we have each of the tools working well in their own regard.
0: So, you know, I think just to kind of wrap this up, what about uh, some of the cultural controls uh, in terms of? farmers making a choice on on tillage, crop rotation, what impact uh, can they or are they playing or should they continue to play a, a larger part of what we're doing uh, currently?
1: Yeah, so cultural control sometimes gets overlooked a little bit. And sometimes it's because we don't think about it, we already do it. Crop rotation is one example where if you are switching between corn and soybean, especially other crops besides that, you're breaking that bridge where some of these diseases, insects, and sometimes even the weeds don't do as well in that next year in a certain crop setting. So let's take alfalfa again, for example, where you're having a few things going on there. You have the rotation and then you also have mowing going on. So that's preventing a lot of weeds from producing seed. And then you also have some insects out there too, where, you know, the mowing actually is a disturbance where they get exposed to kind of bare ground almost after you mow. So that's kind of that change in environment that actually helps quite a bit for control. And it's something you're doing already. And yeah, it would be nice to see a lot more focus on cultural control. And that's something we can do talking about what affects the pest biology in relation to what we're actually going out there and doing in the field without relying on some of these more active tools, whether it's pesticide or plant genetics. So that's something that researchers Tend to look at every now and then, so there could be more coming down the pipeline with that too. I will uh, call out one last tool in the toolbox. So, we've covered pesticides, host plant resistance, biological control, and cultural control. The last one I kind of alluded to a little bit was also disrupting reproduction, and that one comes a lot more into the weed side of things where you're preventing them from getting to seed and you're not getting that reproduction in the field over time. I think about water hemp, especially, or a lot of these related species, they're putting out a lot of seed especially get over to, say, Palmer amaranth, you really want to be making sure you're avoiding that seed production. This can happen uh, also on the insect side of things. where We use baiting disruption pheromones to try to prevent males and females from finding each other. So it's kind of diverse depending on which type of organism you're working with. There are different ways to approach how to tackle that tool as well.
0: Yeah, I just want to echo that disrupting reproduction. We, we think about in the weed science as really trying to limit the weed seed bank and we know from some of our current research that giant ragweed for example has a rather limited time and when it's on the surface or just immediately below for its longevity in the soil profile where water hemp and lambs quarters you know can be around in the, in the weed seed bank in the soil much much longer so it's important to know the identification but intercepting those situations and limiting that can be very helpful. Well, I think by the clock on the wall here, Dr. Hansen, we are approaching the end of our podcast. This has been a very good program, kind of an introduction. Uh, I know in 2021, uh, we'll have an opportunity to get much more in depth on some of these individual uh, pests within the state of Minnesota, talk about the current research and how that is calculated into an IPM program of benefit to Minnesota farmers. So this has been the final broadcast of a podcast of 2020 uh, for the Integrated Pest Management Program at the University of Minnesota. I'd like to thank you all for the listening, uh, not only today, but in previous segments. And we look forward to visiting with you about IPM uh, in the state of Minnesota in 2021.
1: Thank you, Dave. And thanks to everyone for listening for our three years. Now, this is the end of the third year for the IPM podcast. We'll see everyone in 2021.